Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. this week, I was thinking back to the time when my wife and I first started dating. And and when we started dating, she was one of the last holdouts of the millennial generation. I'm a millennial, she's a millennial. She was one of the last holdouts of the millennial generation that had not grasped on to the technology that was kind of coming to define the world that we live in. That, That technology defines all of us now that we kind of can't live without it. But at that time when we were getting to know each other and starting to date, it was just kind of beginning to take hold of our world. And she was one of the last holdouts that hadn't quite grasped onto it quite yet. She and her parents did not have internet at home. She didn't have a cell phone. So when we were, when we started communicating over social media, she could only talk while she was using the internet at the university where her mom worked. And so all of those interactions that we had with one another were incredibly limited. limited. If I called her It was this old-fashioned thing. Most people my age don't do this anymore, and we don't even conceive of it as being a thing. It was this old-fashioned thing where I would have to call her on her landline, where her parents would answer the phone. Something that maybe the dating world today is a little bit unfamiliar with. But it was this weird thing because now what is the norm for the way that we communicate with one another where it's this instant thing, right? If someone doesn't answer a text, a message, whatever, within an hour, you think something horrible has happened to them. This was just kind of starting to become the norm when she and I started talking, when she and I started dating, but it wasn't totally there yet. And I remember logging on to MySpace, that dinosaur of a social media platform, if any of you remember it. And I had one of those little new messages badges. There would be this little spark of hope. Maybe it's Amy. Maybe she sent me a message. Maybe she's at her mom's work and maybe we can talk to each other because I have access to her right now. Or if my phone would ring with a number that I didn't recognize, maybe she's calling me using her sister's phone because she wants to talk to me. It was that spark of hope. A future that was still unknown, that was full of of endless and good possibilities, hope that was brand new every day. And in the world that we live in right now, there is great anticipation, there is great hope for the coming days ahead, where we have been through a hard year, an unprecedented year, where we all experienced things that most of us never thought we would experience in our lives. Lockdowns. Sicknesses, separation, just the normal stopping, the complete stopping of normal life. In addition to the other things that continually happen, continue to go on in our world, pandemic or not. But right now we are in a period 
where you and I are kind of starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. Things are slowly starting to reopen. Restrictions are slowly starting to loosen. There's the faintest glimmer for all of us that life might get back to the way that it was at some point. This is the briefest moment of hope. And in these moments of hope, like I experienced with my wife when we started dating, like we're experiencing right now in the world that we live in, these briefest moments of hope often keep us going. They often give us that little jolt that we need to continue on the journey, to say it's all worth it, to say that when we get to the end, when we've gotten that thing, when we've finished that thing, when we've achieved that thing, the hope of actually getting there is what pulled us along the whole way. Hope is an extremely powerful thing. And it's a concept that we find all over the place in the New Testament as the gospel writers, Paul and others, try to put into some kind of words the unending hope of what it means to follow Jesus. In Romans alone, Paul writes, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that character produces hope. That we are saved in hope. That we rejoice in hope. That we worship the God of hope. In other parts of the New Testament, it speaks about hope that God will deliver us again. That there is a hope of righteousness. That there is a hope to which we are called. And that we are to be a people of hope among people who have no hope. Hope is something that as Christians we are called to have, we are called to do, and that we are called to give. And the ultimate hope that we have, the hope that all of our faith hinges upon, is upon the resurrection of Jesus. The reality that the great theologian Karl Barth said Christians don't celebrate an empty tomb, but a living Christ. In fact, the apostle says, the, the apostle Paul says that this resurrection of Jesus is the very beginning of the hope that we have to look forward to in this life and in the world to come when God's kingdom becomes the reality for the entire universe. And Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 25. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, all of the reality, all of reality as we know it, know it, unfolds in this specific direction. As Jesus has been made alive, 
all of us will be made alive in the kingdom of God when it becomes the reality where God reigns supreme. Where the enemies of sin, death, pandemics, viruses, worry, disease, all of these things become enemies that God has put under his feet. All of this because we worship a God who is alive and who has promised us that one day all of us will be alive with him. It's this beautiful new reality that the Bible promises us in Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. where The Bible says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain Anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What God is promising is a new world, a new earth. A new creation. This is the reality that is promised to us because of the resurrection of Jesus. A series of events that is set in motion that leads to our own resurrection. The culmination of God's kingdom where all of God's enemies are defeated. This is the hope that the Bible presents to us as we live in the present waiting for the future that God has planned and has present and has promised for us. And forgive me for saying this, because I believe in the God to which the Bible bears witness. I believe in the truth of these words. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And the future resurrection of all who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I believe that God's reign and God's kingdom has met us in the present. As God has revealed himself to us in awaiting the final culmination of God's reign. I believe that all of the final enemies will be under Jesus' feet. I believe all those things. So forgive me for saying it, but I feel as if the reality of our situation, the reality of our lives cannot be glossed over. Let's let the realist in me be revealed at this moment. The the realist that is in you be revealed at this moment. Maybe even a little bit of a cynic that lives within each of us. How do we be a people of hope who celebrate hope at such a time as this? 
after everything that we have experienced as a people over the past year, how in the world do we be a people of hope? Sometimes you think about the the naive hope that you have, and then time goes on and you realize how naive it actually was. About a year ago, I think it was the second or third Sabbath after all of the churches in our area had, had closed because of lockdowns. And it was a Sabbath morning. I was in Bell Branch. We had just finished live streaming the service, and there were three people who had been there uh, helping me that morning. And we were kind of standing around talking about the situation, talking about the lockdowns, talking about the effect that it was going to have. And I said with the utmost seriousness, with what I thought was incredible realism at the time, maybe even a little bit of cynicism, very seriously I said to the three people who were with me, I think it's going to be two months before we're back to normal worship. And here we are a year later. Something at the time I thought was incredibly realistic. Maybe even incredibly cynical. Yet looking back on it a year later, I realize how naive I was. And it's when I think about situations like that. Situations where even my realism and my cynicism, with their faint glimmer of hope, just a little bit of hope, turned out to be wishful thinking. It's in those situations, it's in those moments that I ask myself quite seriously, how do we be people of hope? How do I be a person of hope? When 550,000 people have died from a modern day plague in our country alone, when there's been political turmoil, like most of us have not experienced in our lifetimes. And let's forget about that big macro picture for a second, the big overall picture that everybody is experiencing in the world around us. Let's forget about that for a second, and let's bring it down to the real world personal level that each of us experiences from day to day. When you and I face uncertainty in our lives in general, when it comes to things like money, like jobs, like health problems, things that we can't figure out, family issues, relationship issues, all of these things that drain us, that exhaust us on a daily basis. In the face of the world, like the one that you and I are currently facing, how do we say that we have hope? On this day, How do we celebrate hope and say that Jesus will put every enemy under his feet while currently we are suffering in the present? And it's my experience that usually at points like this, we start reaching for the easy answers. Hey man, everything happens for a reason. God won't give you more than you can handle. God has a plan, everything according to his plan. Answers that we come up with to cope with the anxiety, the tension that is created when we believe in the absolute goodness of God and the absolute plan of God in the face of actual, real human suffering. 
And then those answers become our band-aids. Answers that for all of their good intentions simply state that Jesus is out there somewhere doing his God-like thing while we're here suffering. But what I want to propose this morning, the hope that I believe in, the hope that keeps me going, the hope that I believe the death and resurrection of Jesus points to, that hope is not found in easy band-aid answers that simply gloss over the situation in a moment. But rather, that hope is found in a much deeper, much more profound truth. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, writing about the beautiful theology of the cross that was developed by black slaves in the American South, said this. He said, By his suffering and death, Jesus identified himself with those who were enslaved. And took their pain upon himself. And if he was not alone in his suffering, nor were they abandoned in the pains of their slavery. And here's the kicker. Jesus was with them. Similarly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian and pastor, an ardent and outspoken critic of Hitler in the days leading up to World War II, was sitting in a jail cell awaiting execution and reflecting upon and writing about the healing ministry of Jesus, going to those who are sick and suffering. And he was working specifically with Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, that says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And Bonhoeffer, in his jail cell, suffering, wrote these words. He said Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, makes it quite clear that Christ helps us not by virtue of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. That is to say, Jesus does not help us by his knowing everything, by his all-powerful abilities, by everything he has that we do not, but rather, Jesus helps us through his voluntary weakness. That this was Jesus who was in the image of God, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. That is, Jesus voluntarily made himself weak. Jesus helps us through his voluntary weakness, his voluntary suffering on behalf of humanity, but also his voluntary suffering with Humanity. In other words, in the midst of a pandemic and all of the suffering that it has brought us over the past year, in the midst of life where you and I experience things on the regular that drain us of hope, why on this specific day when we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, Where, how, why do we find hope on this specific day? And I would say we don't find hope 
because God is far away, somewhere up there with a plan. And if we can hang on to that, somehow everything is going to be all right. That is not where we find hope in a God who's far away, somehow doing everything for our good. And we just have to trust that we find hope in a God who regularly brings himself down to the level of humanity to experience the things that we experience with us. And you find this all over the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, looking at the world around him and how evil it had become, the, the writer of Genesis puts in there beautifully, and we almost miss it every single time, that God looked at the situation and his heart was grieved. In other words, God experiences profound sadness, profound loss, profound, uh, maybe even a loss of hope at how empty and how evil the world around him had become. You continue on to Psalm chapter 23, where it says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, what comes next? You are with me. Not somewhere up there with a plan. You are with me going through it with me. You move forward to the Gospel of John where Jesus learns that Lazarus, one of his best friends, has died. And John includes for us two little words in there that have such profound meaning. When Jesus finds out that his friend has died, Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved. Jesus felt the loss as keenly as everybody around him. In other words, what we constantly see in the biblical witness is not a God who is far away saying, I'm just pulling it all together and you've got to trust that I'm doing the right thing. What we see is a God who says, no, I am experiencing it with you. That one day all of this will be over. One day all of these enemies will be an under my feet as a footstool. But in the present, I am experiencing all of it with you. We find hope in the reality that the same God who promised to put all of these enemies under his feet, death, sin, suffering, the same God is with us in the midst of our suffering. The same God that Paul says will put all of these enemies under his feet, including death, this same God that Revelation says is creating a new heaven and a new earth where there is no suffering, crying, or pain. This same God is with us in the midst of our suffering here and now. In disease, in pain, in death, in economic hardship, God is not up there with a plan. God is here with us. As Paul told the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17, God is not far away from any one of us. So today, those of us who find faith in this Jesus who's crucified and resurrected, Yes, we find hope in the future that he has promised for us where we don't experience the things that we are experiencing right now, but we also find hope in the belief and the reality that he is with us 
here and now. Maybe this morning you've suffered directly from everything that we've experienced over the past year. Or maybe you're struggling through something else. Health, finances, job, family, relationships. My prayer for you this morning, a deep truth that I believe in, is that you will find hope in a crucified God who is not up there somewhere with a plan, but rather a crucified God who is present, walking beside you, suffering with you, experiencing heartache with you. My prayer is that you find hope in this same crucified God as he sets up a kingdom that will never end. Where there will be no more death, crying, or tears. Because the former things have passed away. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.